you can have a seat. I, uh, before we get started, I need to talk about Tuesday. Um, as you know, Tuesday is election day, and if you're like me, um, you're going to go home for the next couple of days, and you're going to watch TV, and you're going to get all of the mail and read all of the advertisements, <laughs> because you haven't decided yet, and you don't know what to do. Um, I can't wait till Wednesday morning and the ad stopped, but uh, at the, here's the deal, okay? Um, 400 years ago, uh, people left a country to come to this country and form what we know as the United States. Part of the reason they did that was because they wanted to have a say in who was telling them what to do. Um, they wanted freedom. They didn't want um, a government... Um, within itself continuing to perpetuate itself and them having no say and no voice. And since that time, that has been challenged all over the world, as well as we even within our own country. And should we be able to allow, allow to, those freedoms? And so in the course of that time, we have people who have given their lives in service to and for this country so that you and I have a privilege to be able to go in someplace and have a say. And we get that opportunity on Tuesday. So I encourage people, first of all, to vote. And the reason that I vote is, first of all, to honor their sacrifice. So I see it as a way of honoring them. Secondly, I see it as a way to voice my belief and my values, and my opinion on who I think um, should be leading our country. Um, there is a great tendency to vote because of your party or because of a personality. I would challenge you to vote based on your values. As a Christian, as someone who tries to live, honor, um, obey the teaching of the scripture. I have certain values that I believe God puts as important. So while there is never a perfect candidate as long as I have been voting, I try to find someone who reflects the largest amount of those values that I can. Um, unfortunately, uh, there is no candidate who's going to agree with me 100%. And if there was, I'd be scared. I really would. But one of the things that um, I do think is important is that we, we make our voice known. Uh, this election, as far as any election that I have been a part of since I have been voting, I don't think there is two more diverse directions ever in election I voted in. Uh, you know, I work with glass, and so like right now we're trying to do uh, Christmas colors, and so I'm really, I'm trying to find r the perfect Christmas red. And what you don't realize is that with reds, there's all kinds of shades of red. And so you're trying to find the right shade of red. And a lot of elections that I've been a part of, it's about shades. This one's about, and literally, red and blue. I mean, two very opposite colors. 
two very opposite directions. And so I just want to encourage you to look at the values that you believe are central to Scripture and central to its teaching. Then be honest, look at the candidates, at the, the, which, which one lines up more with the values that you see taught in the Scriptures. Um, and I just want to encourage you along those lines. Because like I say, we, we have an incredible privilege to have a say. Um, you go, well, my vote doesn't matter. If enough people say that, then it doesn't. But um, I have a voice and I have a vote, and I'm going to go in and make that vote known. Okay? So I just want to encourage you to do that on Tuesday, and hopefully all of the ads stop on Wednesday. I think we are going to be in for a long week, maybe month. Uh, I just don't know. Here's what I do know. God already knows who's going to win. He's already determined that. He is either going to, through whoever is elected, and again, I'm not one party or another, whoever is elected, he's going to use it to bless this country or to persecute this country. And I can see God going either way. Because we've kind of thumbed our nose at him as God. And you're going to see that this morning. You're going to see what happens when, when people do that. And you're going to see how God handles it with Israel. And so are the days ahead times of blessing or cursing? I don't know. I do know this. It's in the hands of God. And whatever happens will happen. And I will go forward serving God regardless of what happens. Um, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Uh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to live that way. I'm just not going to live that way. So I just want to encourage you. Go in and have, make your voice known. Get up on Wednesday morning. Whatever has happened has happened. And you go forward and we do the best we can to be a bright light in a very dark world. So that's my political spiel. Um, I'm not running for office. Don't intend to ever. I've said enough stuff I could never do it anyway. So, you know, when you start putting stuff on video and podcast for 10 years, you're done. So anyway, uh, here we go. Israel. Um, we are going to cover two chapters this morning, so you're going to have to read them on your own. November, uh, November, uh, um, Numbers chapters 13 and 14. That's where we're going to be. So read them sometime, and you'll see a whole bunch of stuff that I missed, because I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. It's important that you remember where we are. The children of Israel have left Sinai. They had to deal with the quail that we talked about last week. There's another story we're not going to talk about with Miriam and, and um, Aaron griping against Moses and God actually sending a plague on them, and Moses has to intervene. We're not going to talk about that story, but that story is in there. The story we are going to talk about this morning is the children of Israel are about ready to go into the promised land. So here's where they are now. Let me put this in perspective for you. We're about 15 to 24 months since they left Egypt. So let's ballpark this, 18 months to two years. They're now at the verge of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, where they are going to drink from wells that they didn't dig, they're going to eat from trees they didn't plant, and they're going to live in houses that they didn't build. So as they're getting ready at the edge of that promised land, uh, at the end of this journey, God has them there, and, and Moses picks out 12 guys, one leader from each tribe. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the land. And there were seven things that they had to try and find out. 
they had to find out, um, let me get them all right. I want you to see the land and the people. I want to know if they're strong or weak. I want to know if they're many or few. I want to know if it's good or bad. I want to know if they live in tents or cities. I want to know if they're rich or poor. In fact, bring back some of the crops. And I want to know, is there wood in the land? Because they were going to need to sacrifice and build and have fires and all those kinds of things. So he takes those 12 guys and says, that's your job. Go out. So these 12 guys, representing the children of Israel, go marching out into the promised land. Everybody's watching. They don't come back the next day. They don't come back after two days. They don't come back after three days. They don't come back after the first week. So what are you thinking now? Now it's been two weeks, and they haven't come back. Now, three weeks. Now, four weeks. Now we're five weeks, over a month that these guys have been gone, and they haven't come back. What are you thinking? Week six. As we get ready to head into week six, they've been gone now 40 days, and coming over the hillside, they see these 12 guys. Word starts to spread throughout the whole camp. Hey, they're back, they're back, they're back. And they notice there's two guys that have a big, long pole, and on that pole is a cluster, one cluster of grapes, pomegranates, and figs. So as they, they notice that these guys are come hauling back now with, do you know how big a cluster of grapes is going to be to have to hang on a pole? And remember, you've eaten manna for two years. You've had your fill of quail. You're past the quail, all right? You're over the quail. And now these people come marching back, and everybody's like, oh, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. So the group of 12 guys gathered, everybody's gathered on, around Israel, and, and, and they're listening. They want to hear what these 12 guys have to say. And they said, the land is everything that God promised and more. God didn't even begin to express how awesome everything was. But the cities, the walls are huge. The men, they're everywhere. And they're huge. They're descendants of Anak. Anak was a giant. So they're like, we're like these Israelite people, and they're like these great, big, huge people. We can't do it. We can't take this place. Joshua and Caleb, who are, Joshua's about 40 years old right now. Joshua steps up, and Caleb steps up, and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, guys, see that? Now, they don't say this. The Bible didn't say this. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm guessing on this part of it. See that big pillar of cloud and that big pillar of fire that's coming out of the middle of the camp up from the tabernacle? That's bigger than any giant we saw. We could go in. Let's take it. It's ours. And the Bible says what happens is the ten people start to convince the other people that they can't do it. 
And it starts to snowball and it starts to feed and it starts to spread throughout the camp. And Israel comes to the conclusion the problem is Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron came up with this scheme to get us out of Egypt and their God wants us to die in the wilderness or die over in, in the promised land. And so it's all a big scheme. So let's get rid of Moses and Aaron. Let's get us a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. And God steps in and says, I've had enough. He actually in this passage of Numbers 13 and 14, God actually makes a bargain with Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. We're going to start this thing over with you. And Moses actually argues against God and says, God, you can't do that. Your testimony is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. The Egyptians will say they won and you lost. You can't do that. And God says, all right, then here's what I am going to do, Moses. Since they have argued and fought me ten times and over and over and over again, here's what I'm going to do. First of all, the ten guys who came back with a bad report, they're dead. So he sends a plague and takes them out. He said, then Joshua and Caleb, because they had a good report, they're going to go back, they're going to go into the land. Forty years from now, they're going to walk into the land. As far as the people go, because they have fought me, and they don't want it, I'm going to give it to their kids. So for 40 years, one year for every day they were in the promised land, I am going to basically start killing them off one by one until all of them are dead, everyone over the age of 20. And then, 40 years from now, we'll do this thing again. And Moses goes to the people and he says, this is what God's doing. And then people are like, oh, we're so sorry, we didn't mean it. No, 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 we don't need God. And they leave and go over the hill to try to go into the land on their own without God. And the text says that the, the God stays at the tabernacle. The, the pillar of cloud doesn't move. The fire doesn't move. And the people end up being devastated and destroyed. And they realize, oops, maybe we pushed it too far with God. And for 40 years, for 40 years, they're going to die off. And Israel literally goes in circles for 40 years. God provides manna for them. God provides shoes for them. And God takes care of them, but they still die off until there's no one left. But you're going to see Moses and Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Moses doesn't get to go in. That's another story for another time. We'll get there. So let's look at a couple of the passages in specific. And let's talk about what Israel, where Israel dropped the ball. What mistakes did they make? Here's the first one. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That, 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 that was the giants. The first thing Israel says is, look, everything God said was right, but we can't do it because God's not going to let us win. They really, the issue here is they don't believe God. They didn't believe that God was going to take care of them. 
Their expectations were we're just going to walk in the land, we're going to hand it to us, we don't have to fight, we don't have to do anything, it's just going to be all ours. And, and, and when they realized that it was going to be difficult or it was going to be hard, they didn't believe God could take care of them. Now, now stop and think about this for a second, because this is what we forget. The whole time Israel's having this discussion, right in the distance, maybe even right in front of them, depending on where they are, there is a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire coming straight up from the tabernacle and the presence of God. And they didn't believe that that God could take care of them. They believed that the giants, the descendants of Anak, were bigger than their God. They didn't believe God would do it. You don't think there's an application there for us? How many times has God at work around us and we don't see him and we, don't, we go, oh, no, God, you've abandoned me. How are you going to do this? How are you going to take care of this? What? We do the same thing. Second thing you see is in this, listen to what they say when they go on. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are a great size. I like what one, one, one translator said. He said, they are giants and we're grasshoppers. Here's the thing. They were afraid. They let fear get in the way. They started seeing the circumstances and everything in front of them. And they were so afraid that if they go into the land, there's so many of them and they're so big, they're just going to consume us all and we're going to be done. They were scared. You don't think that has application for us in 2020? If you asked me to describe 2020 in one word, it would not be COVID. It would not be pandemic. It would not be politics. It would be the word fear. Because we are in a fear-obsessed culture right now. And Israel, instead of going into the promised land, said, we're afraid. We can't do it. In fact, listen to, what, listen to how far they got. Because here's the next issue. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. A whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They actually got to the point that they thought Egypt was better than the promised land they had just seen. They actually were thinking, this is how messed up their thinking got. They actually started thinking that, you know what? Slavery in Egypt was better than freedom in a land of milk and honey. You go, that is messed up. Yes, it is. Because the whole idea here started to consume them. And between the, 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 the idea of we want to be comfortable and it's all about us. At no point are they stopping and going, what about our kids? 
God's more concerned about their kids than they are. That's why when God sends his judgment, he goes, okay, 20 years and under, I'll give it to you. And by the way, 40 years later, when the kids go in, and by the way, a 20-year-old would have been 60 at that point, but 40 years later when they go in, the giants haven't gone away. But there's a different mindset towards the giants with that generation. Because they learned a lesson that their parents didn't learn. So I think when you look at this passage, I'm going to tell you right now, these two chapters are packed full of a ton of stuff that we don't have time to dive into and explore and that kind of thing. So I'm just going to pick out a couple okay, uh, that I think will help us um, as we go forward. First thing is this issue of unbelief. Um, Israel knew God had promised them the promised land. Israel knew it was everything God said it would be and more. And yet they missed it. And they missed it because they refused to believe and trust God. They missed it because of unbelief. Here's a question for us. How many things are you and I going to miss because we won't take God at his word? Take whatever you're going through right now. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What are you going to miss because you're not going to bank on that promise? Here's what you'll miss. Worry. You'll actually get sleep. You'll actually learn how to have less anxiety because you're not so focused on the circumstances. You're focused on God. How many things do we miss because of unbelief? The reality of it is we have people who have heard the gospel, who understand that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, who know that that is true, but they refuse to believe it. And the reality of it is they will spend eternity apart from God because of unbelief. You understand that's the only reason a person goes to hell? is because of unbelief. Because they refuse to believe what God said. That's it. And they spend their entire life rejecting it. And God says, that's the, that's the consequence of the choice you made. And I just want to challenge you, because this issue of unbelief, it is so important for us to get back to this idea of, okay, wait a minute. God said he was going to take care of you. You don't believe it or not. God said he'll give you peace. You believe it or not. And we've got to get back to this idea. This idea of fear. Let me tell you something. I'm concerned for our future because we are raising a generation of children who for at least the last seven months have been taught by us, by, by teachers, by the system, by everyone. You stay away from me because you're a danger. I fear you. Tell me what that does to a kid over time who grows up thinking you are a threat to me. It's not good, folks. It's not good. Tell me what it does to the way we interact with one another when 
everyone I come in contact with is a possible threat. And we are seeing this play out in our society. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing politically right now. Why? Because everybody's afraid. I mean, look at, I don't care what party you're, 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 you're part of. Both parties are doing this. They're giving you the doomsday fear society, you know, you know, oh, they'll take away your Social Security. Oh, they'll raise your taxes. Oh, they'll do that. It's this whole get scared mentality. And you start ingraining that within a culture or within a society, you know where you end up with is anarchy. You end up with civil unrest. You end up with seeing everyone as an enemy. And your position is right. And this idea of fear, folks, I'm telling you right now, it will, this is my concern. Um, and I've got to be careful how I phrase this, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to, what I think I'm going to start to start seeing and, and as, a, as, a, as a pastor right now. I'm seeing this a lot with the 30-year-olds, that category. I'm seeing a lot of 30-year-olds right now that they're, they're, they're so scared that they're going to, in fact, their parents or grandparents, that they're saying, we have to stay away from you. And so what's happening is they think that they're doing it to preserve their health. But the reality of it is they are so afraid of dying that they have stopped living. We started dealing with this with my mom. And my mom's in an assisted living facility in Texas. And, and, and Texas has a whole bunch of rules for, for those kinds of places. And my mom had started to realize that she had gone for, I think at the time we, we figured four, five months, and she had a list of all of the birthdays that she had missed, all of the, all of the holidays that she had missed, all the times the family got together that she missed. And, and it came down to this issue where my sister and I finally, we had a discussion with her. We said, Mom, look, here's the thing. People are concerned that they would feel guilty if you came and they gave you a virus and you died from it. And here's what my mom said. She said, I've lived a good life. I don't have many of those events left. If I go to one of those events and I get sick and I die because I got it from my family member, at least I got to spend it with my family. I would rather die that way than live the way I've been living. And I can't say that enough because we have created this culture where people are so scared. And, and it's like when we were doing testimonies this morning, it's like it was said. Time is short. And one of the things that I see with these 30-year-olds and, and their family is this mindset that we'll have more birthdays and we'll have more holidays and we'll have it. No, you don't know that. You don't know that. And as I watch families trying to figure out what to do for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'm watching families that are going, you know, well, we're just not going to get together. And this might be, and again, you don't make the decision out of fear, but you sit back and you go, wait a minute, what is a, what is a wise decision here and how do I want to live my life? Because the reality, you may not die of COVID, but you, you can have a heart attack and it'd be the last Thanksgiving you could have had with your family or last Christmas, the last holiday. 
And I'm watching people who are just driven and motivated by this idea of fear of dying. And when you sit back and go, like my mom said, that's not the way I want to live my life. And instead of asking, and again, I'm not saying do foolish things like have COVID parties and stuff like that. I'm not, you know, okay, just slap those people silly. I mean, you don't do stuff like that. But the idea, you know, the idea, and again, I understand, I understand there are exceptions. I had people, I've had people I've talked to who said, Pastor, I really want to come back. I want to meet in the church. And I've literally told them, look. In your particular situation, I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's wise. Um, I would rather you watch online. Uh, because I've had situations like that. But I have other people who they're so afraid, or still the fear in it, that they haven't hugged their children or grandchildren for six months. Now, you can't tell me that that's okay. You can't tell me that, that, that the idea of your grandchildren or your children are afraid of you is healthy. And again, this fear idea, this is what Israel did. They walked in, they saw the enemy, the enemy was so big and so overwhelming that they said, God can't take care of us here. And the whole time they said this, guess what? There's a, I don't know, do, do I have this as the next slide? The whole time they said this, this is what they saw. They saw this, and their mindset was, we're afraid of the giants. We're afraid of what will happen. We're, we, we, we don't believe God will take care of us. And this is what they saw. It's one of the reasons, by the way, it's one of the reasons, you know, for those of you online, I, I'm sorry, but there's no way we can do this for you um, like we do it on a Sunday morning. But we've been sharing, taking time sharing testimony. And I always started out the, pretty much the same way. Tell me what God's done. Because there is, there is so much value in seeing God at work and being reminded that God is at work. He'll take care of me through this. And Israel's sitting there saying, God can't take care of us with this pillar of fire in front of and, and right, right there. The other issue is this idea of comfort. They thought it was going to be easy. They wanted the easy way out. In fact, they actually get to the point of, you know, if we could just go back to the way it was in Egypt. Because like we talked about last week, one of the things about this mindset of the past is that, you know, it's a, poor, it's a poor memory of how it actually was. And, and in this particular situation, they had forgotten they were slaves. They, yes, they didn't have to feed themselves or take care of food because guess what? Somebody was telling them when they could eat and what portion they could eat and how soon they had to be back to work. But they actually got to the point that they said it's a leadership problem. We get rid of Moses and Aaron, we'll go pick us a leader, we'll go back to Egypt. That's where they were. That's how far they got in their thinking. And you go, why in the world? Listen, when you start being driven by unbelief and fear and things like that, your, your whole mindset changes. And it doesn't make common sense, some of the stuff. One of the other things that you see 
with these people. And, and the thing that I look at is this idea that I, you can't miss this. You can't talk about this passage without miss and miss this. But God honors the people who honor him. He says, Joshua, Caleb, you'll go in. Now, the sad thing is, Joshua and Caleb have to watch all of their friends die for 40 years. They have to watch the 10 guys that they had just spent 40 days with, hiding from the enemy and running around all over Israel. They have to watch God strike them all dead. So yeah, it was hard on them. But yet, when they get ready to go into the promised land, it's Joshua and Caleb who get to experience it. It's Joshua and Caleb who get to prepare the people and say, okay, let me tell you what it's going to be like because we've been there. And so sometimes it means that we have to go through hard things because of the decisions and choices of somebody else. I understand that. But God honors the people who honor him. And you'll see that. And, and I want to challenge you because as we, as we go forward this week, you've got to remember this stuff. Um, you've got to be able to step back and say, all right, Lord, I have a really hard time trusting you in this situation. But you said you'll take care of me. You've always taken care of me. You've said that, that, that I'm your child. So as a loving parent, God, I'm asking you to help me during this time. I believe that you love me, that you're my father, that you're going to take care of me. So, Lord, I'm trusting you. Just like I'm trusting you for my salvation, I'm trusting you to get me through whatever it is you're, out, you're dealing with right now. Lord, I want to go forward in spite of what we're dealing with as a culture right now. I don't, I don't want to be sucked into this idea of living in fear. This whole pandemic thing, and again, I'm not minimizing it. I, I know people have lost their lives from this. I'm not minimizing this. But I think it's important that we make decisions going forward based on the Spirit of God and not necessarily the culture, the media, the society in which we live. We're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to let the world squeeze us into its mold. We have to step back and say, you know what? I believe in my heart this is how God's leading me to respond in this situation. And God can lead all of us differently. So I'm not saying it's, it's, it's one way or the other way. But I will say this. When you are driven by fear, it will hurt you. You can't live based on fear and come out spiritually, emotionally, physically healthy. You just can't. And we're starting to see that in our culture right now. And you're starting to hear people now talk about that. And all of a sudden now people are going, oops. Here's why. When God created us, when God designed us, one of the first things you see in creation in Genesis is a social setting. Man was alone. God had created the whole world. Everything that God created, he said, good, 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 awesome, good, great, yep, uh-huh, yes, awesome, ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, he's by himself, bad. 
Don't worry, I can fix that. In fact, I'm going to create version 2.0 that is better than version 1. Because I made a lot of mistakes with version 1, we're going to correct in version 2. Okay, guys, go ahead. Be dumb enough to argue with me on that, all right? You know, you just look at your wife and say, yes, honey, you're a much improved version over me. Uh, that's what you do. That's what, this, that's what a wise husband does, okay? Um, it's also what a husband who's living in fear of his wife does, but that's another dear. Um, but I mean, seriously, it's, it's one of those deals where God said, it's not good, so I'm going to bring a companion. I'm going to create a social context for mankind. And when we, when we pull towards this idea of isolationism to the point that we start to struggle with the impacts of that mentally, spiritually, socially, emotionally, and you're starting to see that play, I mean, think about it for a minute. How do we punish criminals? We've got them in jail. What's the next worst thing we can do for them? Put them in solitary confinement. Isolate them from everybody. And for some reason in society, we think that's a healthy way to do it for people all across the country for seven months. You know, you've got to connect with people. And you go, well, you know, I, I, physically I need to stay safe. Great. You need to connect with people. So you better be on the phone or you better be on email or you better be on social media. Or you better be connecting with people because you were not designed to not connect with people. Those of us who get to meet, right or wrong, there's something about walking in here with other people that helps you through the week. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm all for the preaching and all that kind of thing, but just when I come in here just to be with people, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Because everywhere I go in society, I have to stay away from people. Everybody has to stay at a distance. I have to talk to a cashier who normally I have great discussions with cashiers. I don't get to do that anymore because they've got a mask and a screen and I've got a mask and it's hard enough for me to even hear them, much less them hear me. And it's easier just to shut up and not say anything and go. Actually, it's even easier to go Amazon, click, ship, deliver, spend more time talking to my UPS guy than anybody. But I mean, you know, I, but seriously. Seriously. We can't live in, a, in an attitude of unbelief, focused on comfort, um, focused on fear. It's not, not going to end well. It's not going to end well. It didn't end well for Israel. And it doesn't end well for us either when we live like that. So I end this morning with this. Israel does not get to experience what God has prepared for them because of their unbelief, their fear, and their focus on the past. They are so focused on what they were afraid of, they didn't get to experience the life that God had prepared for them. God honors the two men that honor Him. Our challenge this week, trust God, Go forward being led by the Spirit of God in what you do this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we have been 
so overwhelmed with this attitude of fear everywhere we go. We turn on the radio, we listen to media, we turn on a TV, we walk into a store, we see it everywhere. Lord, would you help us to not live that way? Lord, don't let us be foolish. But at the same token, Lord, don't let us be led by unbelief, fear, comfort, focused on what we want and what's easiest for us rather than what's best for serving you. Use us this week, Lord. And Lord, would you help us as we go forward that people would be able to see Christ in us. These things we ask in your name.